Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How many of you glad to be in church today? Amen. Let, let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. We've read it each time over the last uh, five weeks, and today we're finishing the series on uh, simply called Pray. So let, let's read it together. Um, if you can get it on the screen, Second uh, Timothy, sorry, First Timothy, chapter two, verse one to five, and um, therefore, I ex- thank you, Jesus. We don't have it. No. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Just going to give him a moment. Lord, we just pray for this message today. I pray, Lord God, that you would just uh, stir our hearts, Lord. Stir us, Lord God. Help us to hear what you are saying at this time, uh, that we may obey you that we may be the the light in the darkness, that we may uh, stand in the gap uh, in prayer for our generation in Jesus' name. Um, I'm I'm going to read it, and if you brought your Bible, you can read along with me. And it says, Therefore, I exert first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Paul said, I exhort first of all. First of all. That means prayer must be a priority. I exhort, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You see, the Bible says if we don't pray, we will not have a peaceful life. And, um, you know, I, I think this is important uh, when we consider that... Uh, I believe the Lord has led us over these last five weeks to to close the year by focusing on prayer. And uh, again, we need to pray. And and again, if you don't need a reminder, um, over the last few weeks I've touched on some of these things. This week, the UK Transport Minister uh, came out with a statement and said that the idea of owning a, a private uh, motor vehicle is a 20th, century, a 20th century idea and is outdated. And, uh, you know, she said it may take time for us to um, bring people around to the idea of not having a car, but that is their plan. Uh, I, I think it was the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, who came out with the dumb statement last year that, uh, you know, every town and village in the country could get by with maybe one communal car. And, you know, it's this idea, because communism uh, is all about, uh, you know, the, the ideal of, 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 you know, communal property. You don't own anything. You know, it's this idea, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Um, you know, I think as somebody brought up in Ireland, and, and I think somebody that made, again, Eamon Ryan, you know, really is making it clear that he's probably never gone beyond Dublin 4 uh, by making a statement like that. But let me say, for somebody who was brought up in the country, uh, you can't get by without a car. And even if you can, 
I don't believe that somebody should be putting a gun to your head and deciding that they can rewrite how you live your life. Um, I like the fact that I can get in the car and two hours I can be in Galway, two hours I can be in Belfast, another country. Uh, you know, four hours or three or four hours I can be down in Kerry. Um, and so in many respects the car I think is symbolic of freedom, irrespective of whether you have one or ever you even want to have one. It's, you know, it's this idea of a, a free society. And, and so in many respects freedom is under assault. And, and so I just want to give you the, uh, I can't pronounce it properly, the Ors d'Orves. How do you pronounce that, Joanna? I'm sorry, I just, I just killed that. If you're a French speaker, please forgive me. Uh, this is just a little starter because I think it's important for us to get some, say it again. Oh, beautiful. Ors d'Orves. I can't do it. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, again, uh, I think it was um, Jacinda Ardern, uh, the Prime Minister of, of you know, the open prison formerly known as New Zealand, um, along with Australia. Any of you have followed the changes that have been instituted in those nations over the last two years uh, can only come, uh, come under the heading of, of dystopian and authoritarian. And um, uh, we've seen this on, on a global scale. Where, where, you know, governments um, uh, feel this freedom to take away, uh, the liberty to take away people's freedoms and uh, promise to give you them back once you comply with their ever-changing um, requirements. And again, it started with two weeks uh, to stop the, the spread, so to speak. Now we're on to two years. Now they've gone beyond vaccination of adults and they're looking to vaccinate little children. And, and, and so, again, I'm not trying to go off on a rant. I'm just trying to uh, paint a little bit of a background here uh, for you to understand why we need to pray and why the Bible says, first of all, pray for governors, for those who are in authority, those who are leaders, those who are in government, because if you, if you don't pray for them, you can very quickly end up in a place where you lose your freedoms, where you lose your liberties, your religious liberties, etc. And um, uh, so anyway, but the, you know, the Prime Minister of, of uh, New Zealand uh, came out with the statement, I think in the last week, that she doesn't feel there will ever be an end to this vaccination, because you know, Israel is now on their fourth vaccination, their fourth shot, and if you've taken the first three, but you don't take the fourth, you're going to lose your passes and your access to, to, to you know, participate in society. And, um, you know, uh, I was just listening this week to, uh, uh, there's this small little man, I, I can't remember what country, company he works for, one of these big pharma companies, but he was talking about the Omicron or Omicron or whatever it's called, um, a, a, a virus that they expected to be three shots, so that'll be seven. And, um, uh, you know, at what stage, uh, you know, will people decide, you know, this is not... Um, uh, this is not good, this is not healthy. So again, let me say this, you can take 15 and I'm still your pastor, I still love you, you do what you want to do. But I'm just simply saying in terms of the direction our societies have taken over these last two years, in terms of the, this constant um, uh, erosion of our freedoms, of our liberties, and, and this you know, uh, stupid idea that you surrender your freedoms um, you know, uh, in order to gain safety and you know what the Lord showed me really is 
You know, this is part of a process to bring society uh, to a place, um, uh, you know, where we will not have freedom, where religious freedom uh, will not exist. Because again, it's not about a motor car. It's not. About, it's about freedom of movement. It's about freedom of choice. It's. 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 Um, uh, and again, it's not about a vaccine. It's about uh, bodily autonomy. Let me say this. You, you know, uh, people talk about my body, my choice. But this is one case where it truly is your body, your choice. And. Um, uh, and, and so, and let me say this, I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel. I don't care what they say or, you know, what, you know, the changes they make. I am not going to stop preaching the gospel. And, and I will not. I will not institute a, a, a vaccine mandate should they decide uh, to do that. Because uh, again, the gospel is it's, uh, if it's for everyone or it's for no one. God so loved the world, okay? And so I, I think these are important. But one of the things the Lord showed me was, particularly here in Ireland, I found it very disturbing for a nation that, you know, spent over 500 years fighting for freedom. And again, I love the British. My wife is British, okay? And I've no hatred, I've no, uh, you know, grievance or grudge um, or chip on my shoulder. Uh, you know, and I bless Great Britain and their people. I love them. But you know what? We fought for 500 years to get our freedom. And yet to see uh, so many Irish people surrendering their freedom um, uh, in order to get uh, safety uh, uh, has been quite disturbing. And, um, you know, I was just talking to a lady in the church here. She was talking to her gardeners and she was saying about how people are, are, are shouting instructions to them out through the window. They won't even go near them. And it's people starting to treat each other like they're lepers. I don't believe this is healthy. I don't believe it is a, a positive direction for our society to go. But one thing the Lord struck, um, uh, you know, put on my heart is this. A lot of what has happened has been our fault as the church. A lot of it falls on our lap yeah. because we have not been faithful to preach the truth without compromise. We have not been faithful to stand for truth and we have not been effective in reaching this world for the gospel because the reason why people have been so quick to surrender their constitutional rights and freedoms and God-given freedoms um, has been because they are afraid to die. They know they are not ready to face death and therefore they will do anything, they will accept anything once it comes under the guise of safety. But you know what? We understand that safety Safety is ultimately an illusion. If you are not born again, you are not safe. You are not ready to die. You are not ready to stand before God. But you know what? When you have been washed in the blood, when you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, when you know that you are a member of the redeemed, when you know that you are a child of God, there is nothing in this life or the next that can strike fear in your heart because you know you have been redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Could somebody say thank you, Jesus? I've been washed in your blood. Hallelujah. So these are the times we're in, and this is why we need to pray. I don't know if you've heard, in Sweden, thousands and thousands of people have taken the chip. 
It's a little microchip in their hand, and it's wonderful because you don't have to take your car keys, you don't have to take your, your, your house keys, you don't have to take your wallet, you don't have to take your COVID pass. All you do is you scan your hand, and the door opens, you scan your hand, and you pay the bill, you scan your hand, and you walk into the restaurant. It's wonderful. Unless you've read the Bible and you, it, it just has a kind of a, a, a surreal parallel to something that we've read in Revelations 13 talking about an antichrist system whereby you're not going to be able to buy and sell unless you have a, ha a mark on your hand or on your forehead. And it's interesting that those who have done the, the studies, um, uh, those who, 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 uh, you know, who are experts on this area, the two most ideal places to put a, play, a place a chip in your hand are where? Your hand or your forehead. Because the biggest change in temperature in your body is in your forehead. And that helps charge this chip apparently. So the two ideal places, your forehead or your hand, just like the Bible said 2,000 years ago. You see, we are, we are moving towards, uh, we're moving towards the return of Christ. But what I want to say is this, as the church, firstly we must pray. But the book of Second, uh, I think it's First Chronicles 12, 32, it says, the men of Isaac who had understanding of the times. We, 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 we use that verse a lot, we say it a lot, we quote it a lot, but we don't quote the other half of it. It says, they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And so, uh, it's not just understanding the times you're in, it's actually doing something. Okay, we have a part to play. The reason why the Lord has all of us still here today is God has a purpose to reach this generation. And this is not a day to be sitting on the fence. This is not a day to be lukewarm or compromised. This is a day to live for Jesus Christ. And this is why, you know, God put it on my heart to, to deal with this series on prayer. And I, I appreciate it may be a little different to what some of you have, have heard, or, and, and that's okay. But, but, you know, sometimes you need to take a different perspective and recognize, you know what, these, this is the season that we are in. And, and we must play our part in reaching this world for Jesus Christ, amen? Because, again, the reason why I've addressed these uh, issues, which, again, can be touchy, and, you know, I've had a lot of people walk out and get offended and get mad and whatever, and that's fine, but I believe these issues need to be addressed because I think a lot of ministers have their head in the sand on this one. Because if you follow this thinking to its logical conclusion, this idea that it's immoral to have a car, this idea that it's immoral to have more than one child, um, you know, leads us down a, a road whereby you will lose essential freedoms. And where, you know, freedoms that previous generations took for granted, um, uh, you will not have. And, you know, certainly for myself as a minister of the gospel, I, I want to have the freedom to assemble, to gather with the saints. I want to have the freedom to go to the nations and preach the gospel. I want to have the freedom to live where I want and go where I want without somebody, you know, standing on their high horse and making some moral judgment about me. And um, I, I, again, you know what, that, that's why, you know what, they're gonna to have to lock me up because I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna stop. 
I'm not going to change my message. I'm not going to tone it down. And I'm not going to, you know, fit in to, to what, you know, um, they may desire or expect of us. Because, you know what, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Jesus set me free, and I'm not going to be a slave to any man or any ideology so they can say what they want, they can think what they want. I'm going to live free, I'm going to think free, and I'm going to serve the Lord's purposes for my life. Is there anybody here in agreement in Jesus? Jesus name. Praise the Lord. Got that off my chest. I'm going to get into the message this morning. <laughs> Larry goes to church and he listens to the pastor preach. Pastor's preaching about miracles. And at the end, the minister asks anybody who needs a miracle to come forward at the altar. Larry gets in the line and he waits for a few moments and finally it's his turn. And the preacher asks him, Larry, what do you want me to pray about for you? In a big booming voice. Larry replies, Pastor, I need you to pray for my hearing. The pastor puts one finger into Larry's ear. He pours a bottle of water on his head and he places his other hand on the top of his head and he prays a loud, long uh, prayer, passionate. Larry's face is all spit, but you know what? The pastor is just going for it. He's praying and commands those ears to open the name of Jesus. And after about 10 minutes, he says to Larry, Larry, how is your hearing now? Larry says, I don't know, Pastor. It's not till Wednesday next week. We're talking about prayer. Christian prayers before going out on a blind date. Woman. A woman. Oh, God. I hope and pray that he's not weird or a psychopath or a serial killer or a stalker or bald or has a ponytail or, God forbid, a man bun. I hope he's not a mommy's boy. I pray he's not stingy or effeminate or a liberal or arrogant man. God, please don't let her be fat. <laughs> we, we're dealing with prayer and we're dealing with essential aspects to answered prayer. And uh, we've dealt last week with, uh, f with uh, faith and family, uh, two absolutely essential aspects of, of answered prayer. And um, again, if you've missed the message, I encourage you to check it out on YouTube, All Nations Church Dublin, and subscribe and it'll, it'll bless you. Because sometimes I think if you listen to a message two or three times, you're going to hear things you didn't hear before. And it'll go beyond your head into your heart. So we've dealt with faith and family. And the third one is this, focus. Mark chapter 11 Jesus said, have the faith of God, for assuredly I say to you, the whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So the Bible here, uh, Jesus is talking about, you know, walking in the miraculous. Jesus the day before had spoken to a fig tree, he cursed it, nothing had changed in the natural, and yet the very next day they come, and the fig tree is withered up from the roots. And so Jesus was, was demonstrating to us the principle of how faith works. And so he said, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea. And so um, I think it's important to understand if your prayer is to be answered, it must have a specific focus because specific prayers receive specific answers. So again, don't be uh, double-minded um, when you pray, amen? Uh, be bold, be clear, be intentional, and be deliberate. James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8 talks about a double man, does double-minded man does not receive 
receive from God. And another way you could say that is an unfocused man does not receive. So ultimately, um, the only prayer that is answered is focused prayer. It says, whosoever shall say, not whosoever shall, shall wish or wonder or say, oh Lord, whatever you have for me. So many times people come up in a, in a prayer line, you say, well, what are you believing for? Oh, whatever God has for me, you know, uh, oh, whatever, you know, and, and, and you, but the problem with that is that many times when we're saying, oh Lord, uh, uh, whatever you have, Lord, or whatever your will might be, but that's not focused. It's not specific. Um, I, I believe it's stupid because Again, if you don't have a clear focus or goal in, in, in your prayer, how can you ever know if it's answered? Okay, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26. And it says, Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promising, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being, that are made, uh, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So here the Bible says that in the end days, um, God says, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. He will shake the things. Uh, you know, God says that he will shake everything because we are members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so, you know what, no matter what may stand or fall in the days to come, and yes, difficult days may be coming for us who, uh, you know, believe, uh, who follow Christ. Um, but you know what, it's important for us to not uh, lose sight of the fact that we're members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that God is, sits on the throne, he is still sitting on the throne, he is still in control, amen? Jesus Christ is still Lord. And with regard to the end times, I wanna ask you, is your focus on what the devil is doing or on what God has promised to do? Because God has promised that he will shake the nations and yet we are depressed and anxious because the nations as we know it are being shaken. Amen? But you see, we don't have to fear about the future because we're living in the culmination of the ages, amen, where ancient prophecy is literally being fulfilled before our very eyes. And so we shouldn't be anxious or afraid um, because we believe the best is yet to come. Amen? We, we don't have to be afraid. So you know what? Bring it on devil amen because we are focused amen we have 2020 focus that's exodus 20 verse 20 moses said to the people do not be afraid god has come to test you so that the fear of you will be with you to keep you from sinning Amen. So again, it says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Because if you fear God, you will not fear men or devils. If you fear God, you will obey God no matter what the cost may be. Amen. You're not going to be living with your girlfriend or downloading porn or telling lies. Amen. Or, or you know, getting drunk or any of these other things. Amen. Because you have a different focus. And, and, and again, you know, the Bible says, uh, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. You could put it another way and say, where there's no focus, the people cast off restraint. When you have a focus and a vision for your life, you're not going to be getting involved in drugs. You know, you're not going to be doing dumb things with, with people. You're, you're going to be living right. Amen? Why? Because you have a focus. You have a, a vision. Amen? So again, uh, if you fear God, you will not fear man. Glory to Jesus. And so our focus is on Christ. 
Our focus is on the cross, and our focus is on the commission, the great commission, Matthew 24, 14. You know, the first 13 verses you know, um, of Matthew 24 list the uh, signs of the times, and that's where most believers right now are focused, and, and some are literally obsessed with the end times, but it doesn't end there. Verse 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the nations, and then the end shall come. So again, things may not look promising at the moment, Moment. Things may look dark, but this is not how it ends. Amen. There are many uh, out there who need to hear the gospel. You know, just last Friday, I did a, a funeral for a member of the church here, Robert Mangan. He's dead, died. And I, I was there in the, in the uh, funeral home. There was probably about 100 people or so at the funeral home. And I, for 20 minutes, I spoke to them about eternity. And you know, in the beginning, people were a little distracted, but as I continued talking, as I continued sharing the word of God, you know, I had their attention. And you know, at the end of that, you know, they, they, I got them to pray the prayer of salvation with me. You, you do that at funerals, every funeral. Every funeral, I'll give an altar call. There's, there's not, listen, nothing focuses your mind like looking at your buddy in a box, okay? Because ultimately, like, the, like it says, you know, John Don, do not send to know for whom the bell tolls. Behold, it toll it for thee. Many times I think the reason why we weep is not necessarily for the person, it's for ourselves. It's this realization that we are mortal beings and we will, we will uh, our, our turn will come and that's the sobering reality. But you know what, so many people came up afterwards and said, that was just amazing. Young people, old people, why? Because truth resonates with the human heart and this is our job and we must be about our father's business and we must not be distracted with, you know, by what the devil is doing and yes, it is the devil behind a lot of these things, but you know what, firstly we have to pray, but secondly, we have to to keep our focus and our focus is on reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Could somebody say amen? amen? You see there's a lost and a broken world out there that desperately needs to hear good news. Because if, listen, if, if all you do is focus on the end times, you will be uh, depressed and despondent. And you know, I appreciate, like I said, I've covered many of these things over the last number of weeks, but it was only so that you may pray and not that you may obsess, spectate, or speculate. And that's what a lot of Christians do, they're spectating or, or, or speculating. I wonder who the Antichrist is going to be. I wonder if this is that and if this is the other. And they're doing nothing for Jesus. They're never sharing the gospel with anybody. They're not doing anything to reach out to others who do not know Christ. Because let me say, if you're born again, you're ready. Okay, you're ready to go. If Jesus comes back before today, wonderful. You know what, we're gonna be with him. But you know what, we have friends and family and neighbors and colleagues and so many people in, in our nation and in the nations who do not know Christ and they're not ready to stand before the Lord. Amen, because this is the problem. When you get into this vein of just focusing on the end times, it can feed a dangerous fatalism. You know, why save, why study, why serve, why marry if Jesus might be back before supper? What's the use of even getting out of bed if Jesus might be back before I get out of the shower? But if he doesn't, you're going to be late for work, and you're going to, st <laughs> and you're going to stink. Amen? Hallelujah. Uh, so, but pastor, the Antichrist is coming. Show me where in the Bible it says to focus on the coming of the Antichrist. Okay? It doesn't. No, we must focus on and be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Amen? Praise you, Jesus. 
You know what? The, the Antichrist is just a, you know, a pale imitation. You know, he, you know, he, he's that, that bad tribute band. Jesus, he's the main act. He's the one who's in control, okay? Jesus is coming. So regarding the signs of the times, you know, I've heard leaders say, well, you know, these things are going to happen. Nothing you can do, so just put your head down and stay quiet. And, um, but, you know, I think this, this betrays a certain arrogance because we're presuming that we know when the end will be. Can we afford to take the chance that this is the end? No, I believe we're to work to make the world better. You know, William Wilberforce, he worked, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he worked to make the world a better place. We're called to make the world better. And I believe it's wrong for us to assume that we know the date of Christ's return. We don't, and therefore, we must work. Jesus said, night cometh when no man can work. Yes, we can see the, the light dimming, so to speak, in our societies around the world, but that doesn't mean that we, that we give up, amen? Because we're gonna see a great harvest. And the question I would simply ask you is, what if Jesus doesn't come back for another five or 50 or 100 or 1,000 years? We will have literally surrendered our children, our grandchildren, and the world that God loves to an immoral beast system that is seeking to, to um, you know, to preempt the timing of God. And that's what it is. This is the devil just seeking to preempt the timing of God because it's God's time scale. And therefore, we cannot just afford to just step back and say, oh, well, you know, it's just the end of the world. It's, it's all over. Let's just, you know, find our little cave and hide away. No, we are to go to the world. We're to continue with business as usual. Amen? So what would you think of a, a, a team that walks off the, the field before the final whistle is blown, simply just because the scoreboard is against them. Amen? So again, I, I believe this. Faith and family and freedom are worth fighting for. Amen? We're going to fight in Jesus' name. We're going to fight for religious freedom. We're going to fight for freedom and democracy and the right to live your life as you desire to do so. I don't know about you. I have no intention of becoming, you know, a, a mindless slave who looks to, you know, some unelected medical Mandarin to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. Listen, I got a brain. I can think for myself. I don't need you to tell me what I can and cannot do. Oh, I'm permitted to go to the shop now. Come on. We're not children. And I think it's important we don't allow people to speak to us like we are. Hmm. Hallelujah. I, I promised I was going to give the message today with a smile. Okay. Hallelujah. I'm going to do it with a smile. Thank you, Jesus. Let me share a secret with you to keeping your focus. Looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, looking onto Jesus, not looking onto the world or the Antichrist, and certainly not looking onto CNN or RTE or BBC or any of these other institutions that want to brainwash you. I think it's ironic that many of them would have accused the church of seeking to brainwash people with, with truth. And you look at the last two years, so many of the articles you read on, on uh, you know, uh, uh, on, on online media, so many of, uh, of what's been done has been sponsored by governments, paid for. You know, I, I, I'm telling you, if I, was, I was a, if I was a journalist, I would be ashamed of myself right now because there's been no questioning of any of these agendas. They took their 30 pieces of silver and they're just doing what they're told. That's a fact. 
Anyway. Jesus kept his focus at the cross. He refused to surrender to despair, fear, or frustration. He refused to cry for justice or vengeance or revenge. Instead, he cried out, Father, forgive them. You see, Christ was focused on his mission to the very end. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 11, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while they were there. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards him, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. If that was ever a message for the body of Christ, if that was ever a message for our society, I believe it is right there. Don't be afraid. One of the most repeated phrases in the Bible is fear not. Fear not. Don't give in to fear. Don't allow fear to dictate how you think and how you live and how you, how you react. We're called to walk by faith. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I'm here. Then Jesus called him, Lord, if it's really you, let me come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he said. <laughs> I think that's so funny. He began to sink. You know, how many of you have ever stand, tried, you know, have you, have you ever tried to stand on water? It's very difficult. And generally, you, you sink very quickly. But Peter had time to give a whole, you know, little oration to Jesus. You know, he's, he's sinking down through the water. Lord, save me, I'm sinking. You know, he's going down, uh, you know, a couple of inches every, every 10 seconds. You know, it must have been the weirdest thing in the world. Because there's no way if he had just, he wouldn't have had time to say anything. But, you know, God is merciful. You know, even when you mess up, God gives you time to get right with him. Amen? And so Peter is like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sinking. <laughs> Listen, judgment from God never comes as quick as some of us might have thought. You know why? God's mercy. But you know why we know that? We, we've, all, we've all at times done things, said things, been places, and we've kind of said, okay. But you know what? God is merciful. God is merciful. You know, some of you, listen, if God was as quick into giving thunderbolts as, as, as some preachers might have presented God, uh, a lot of you wouldn't be here today. Maybe I'd be here, I'm not sure, but I know some of you definitely. I'm your pastor. I know you. But you know what? It says he started to sink, and immediately Jesus reached out and said, you have so little faith. He said, why did you doubt me? You see, Peter lost his focus, and it was only then that he began to sink. And maybe the reason why you are down or you're depressed is because you have the wrong focus. You see, Psalm 34 says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It says magnify the Lord. It doesn't say magnify the problems. 
It doesn't say magnify what's going wrong or what the devil is doing or the agendas of the enemy or the trials, amen? And we can all be guilty of that at times, amen? But just because we see it doesn't mean that we should be focused on it because our focus determines our freedom, our lack of it. And that's why there's so many Christians in this season that are depressed and they're down and you've no joy and you're not effective in reaching people for Jesus because you're just as depressed and you're just as anxious as everybody else around you. You see, our focus determines our freedom. And if your focus is wrong, literally nothing will work for you. And the devil wants it this way. You know, Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Because if you have the wrong focus, you will have no joy, you will have no victory, and ultimately, no purpose. Okay, and this describes many believers today. And this is why we need to guard ourselves in relation to the end times because it can become an obsession to the point where you are no longer looking to the return of Christ. Uh, rather, you're looking to the arrival of the Antichrist. But Titus 2 verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. That is where, when Jesus said, when you see these things happening, lift up your heads. He didn't say look at your feet. He said, lift up your head, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. That is our focus. And you see, if you don't have that focus, I'll say this. I've never seen somebody who is so obsessed with the end times ever be effective in winning people for souls. Because again, um, why would anyone what you want what you have? if you're as anxious and depressed and agitated as them. You see, there is work to be done and there's souls to be won. We must be about our Father's business and His business is souls. Philippians 3.12, not that I've already um, obtained or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not come, consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God um, has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, this one thing I do. Paul was focused. He had a clear vision. Okay, Paul was very focused on what God had called him to do. And he said, this one thing I do, not 15 things. And part of knowing what you're called to do is knowing what you're not called to do. Amen? This is essential if you want to run your race. Um, another point is this, fervency. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent literally means um, having or displaying a passionate, forceful, um, powerful intensity. Uh, the archaic meaning of fervency means hot, burning, or glowing. Are you hot and are you burning? Are you glowing for Christ? Are you bringing life where you go? Are you going bringing a negative report like everybody else? Oh, things are bad and they're getting worse. What, what, kind of, what kind of atmosphere do you bring where you go? Do you bring the joy of the Lord? Amen? Because again, the, you know, fervency is important. The great uh, British uh, missionary William Carey said, Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. Okay, so secret prayer is so important. If we want to be the men and women God want, has called us to be. You see, fervency means you're not ashamed to pray out loud. You're not ashamed to witness or to be seen with a Bible in your hand. I remember 20 years ago, 
When I first came to Dublin, you know, there were very few Africans, but they were starting to come to Ireland. But I remember on a Sunday morning, you, you'd see these, these African men walking through Dublin city in a, in, a, in a beautiful suit with the biggest Bible under their arms and walking, you know, because it was a very Irish thing. If you had a Bible, you carried it in a plastic bag. That's, that's a fact. It was kind of, you know, 007, undercover stuff. What's in your bag? Nothing. Tell me what's in your bag. Pornography. Seriously, it was, it was, it, I, I was just so blessed to see these guys marching through, you know, looking like they'd stepped off Louis Copeland's window. This big Bible under their arm, not at all ashamed to carry the word of God. Come on. Anybody from Africa this morning? Come on. Don't lose your fire. Don't lose your boldness. Amen. Hallelujah. I believe God wants to give us boldness in these days. Fervency. Amen? You see, fervency means much prayer in private and much power in public. And you know why we haven't been seeing power in public? <laughs> There's been very little prayer in private. You see, fervency means you're more focused on winning souls than winning an argument. Fervency means the first thing you give every month is your tithe. Silence. Fervency means we had a conference a couple of weeks ago and it means you were there because you're hungry. But pastor, I would have had to miss EastEnders. And, and it was cold. Well, hell is hot and you're going there. No, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only messing. shouldn't joke about hell. I'm just simply saying, fervency means you're hungry. Let, let me say this, maybe the world won't respond to our message until we do. Yeah. Amen. I'm waiting for the church to respond to the message. I'm not talking about the world. I'm waiting for the church to start demonstrating that they're serious about serving God. Because you know, you put on more than a service on a Sunday morning, and it looks like the rapture has happened. It's shameful. Put on a, put on a, a prayer meeting, and a handful of people that will come. I believe things have to change in the church if we want to see our nation come to Christ. We're going to have to serve God differently in the days to come because let me say, tough times are coming and if you're not ready to serve God passionately, if you're not ready to serve God fervently, you're going to be one of the many who fall away. The book of Thessalonians talks about one of the characteristics of the end time. It says the great falling away before the Antichrist comes, there will be a great falling away. A great falling away from God. A great falling away from truth. And we're seeing that. Okay, so again, maybe the world won't respond to our message until we do. You know, I'm talking about fervency, not legalism or extremism, which, both of which turn people off the gospel. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. I love this story. It's the calling of uh, Peter. And uh, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. I love it. You know, these men weren't knowledgeable, capable, or qualified, but they were certainly fervent. And so they didn't think twice when they heard the call. They walked away from their business to follow Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 24 to 26, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, you know, I think it was um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the cost of discipleship, uh, discipleship, the great German theologian, 
um, who died because of his plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, that's, that's a wild theologian right there. <laughs> I love it, you know. Um, but he said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You see, there is a death to self. There is a death to our agenda. That's why when the early church was threatened in Acts chapter 4, it says they, they went to their own company and they cried out to God and they prayed. They didn't pray for protection. Uh, they, they didn't pray for a visa to South America. They prayed for boldness. They prayed that God would give them more boldness. And I believe this is what we need in these end days is boldness to serve Christ. You see, the early church was fervent because a city cannot be shaken where the people are not praying. And so too, I believe this, Dublin is the way it is today because of our lack of fervent prayer. You know, we need to quit blaming a lost world for being lost. No, we need to blame a dead church for being dead and not praying and, and not taking its place in prayer. Because again, repentance and revival start in our hearts. Okay, so we've looked at faith and, and freedom. Or sorry, we've looked at uh, faith and family. Uh, you know, we've looked at uh, uh, our, our focus We've looked at fervency. Uh, give me 10 minutes and, and, and we'll uh, bring this uh, to a close. But I think this is important, authority. Revelation 1.6, and he has made his kings and priests to God and his father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, as kings and priests, we have authority, and we must use that authority in prayer. You see, a priest had authority in the religious realm, a king had authority in the civil or secular arena, but we have both. You see, a king decrees a king declares, a king doesn't crawl. A, a, a king is confident in his authority. And yet so many children of God act like they are worthless. And uh, they act like they need to convince God to answer their prayers. Oh, please, God, please. You know, uh, you know I, I, I like to call it worm theology. Oh, God, I'm just a worthless worm. I'm nothing. I'm this and that. No, the Bible says you're a king and you're a priest. Yeah. You know, Psalm 34 says the ear of God is attentive to our prayer. You don't have to scream at God all night for him to hear you. He hears your slightest whisper. God hears you when you pray. Amen. And so, again, uh, Luke 10, 19, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You see, Christ gave us authority. The question is, are we using it? You see, there is no demon or devil that can stand before a child of God who knows their authority in Christ. You see, Christ has given us authority in his name. John 14 and verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name. John 16 and verse 23. And it says... And in that day you will ask me nothing, most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you, okay? And so, because we have authority, we can have confidence in prayer. And 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. You see, we can approach God with confidence. Yes, Pastor John, but it is only according to his will. Listen, it's according to his will if it's according to his word. Amen. We can have confidence. We don't have, to, oh God, maybe you will, maybe you won't. No, if you know what the Bible says, you can have confidence when you pray because God's word says it.
Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowd were amazed at his teachings, for he taught them with real authority. You see, Christ spoke as someone having real authority, and boy, did he walk in it, because he took authority over sickness and demons, he healed the lepers, he gave sight to the blind, he raised the dead, he set the captives free. He even took authority over the weather, you know, calming the storm with just a word. 1 John 3 8, for this reason the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that is what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to destroy the works of the devil. But part of how he does it is by, you know, uh, teaching you and enabling you to use the authority he has given to you. Okay? And so this is important. He, you know, Christ walked in authority, but he wants you to walk in authority as well. And so let me say this. If you confuse sovereignty with authority, you may end up dying before your time. What I mean to say is this, if you say, uh, God will heal me if he wants to, you will most likely die. Because many sincere believers go without the blessings that Christ purchased for them at the cross, whether that's healing or uh, peace or pr prosperity or victory over devils, because of this very fact. Because if you're asking God to fix what he has authorized you to deal with yourself, you will be waiting a long time. And this is what many believers are doing. Oh God, please deal with this situation when God has given you the authority to deal with it, okay? Many believers are essentially negating their prayers with the faith-killing phrase, if it be thy will. Try applying that same logic to salvation. God save me, if it be thy will. Oh, oh God will save me. Uh, you know, God knows where I am. He can save me if he wants to. No, dummy, you'll go straight to hell because Jesus has done all he's going to do about saving you. You have to appropriate by faith what Christ has already done for you at the cross. Okay, you have to take it yourself. So many times people are waiting for God to do something that he's already authorized them to do. God's done all he's gonna do about saving you, okay? He did it at the cross, and it's the same with any other blessings of God. You have to take it by faith. Now, of course, you can pray, if it be thy will, in a situation where you genuinely don't know what his will is, but where God has expressly made his will known to you in his word, whether that's in relation to salvation or healing or deliverance, it is unbelief for you to ask God if it's his will to do what he's already said is his will to do, okay? This is important. We know his will because we know his word, okay? Because what that actually is is unbelief dressed up as theology and it won't end well for you. Luke 10, 19, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Matthew 28, 18, uh, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was given authority and then he immediately conferred that authority upon the church. And this is why the world is in the mess that it's in. It's not because of the despots or dictators or the autocratic leaders who want to, you know, set themselves up and, and, and literally mandate and rule every aspect of your being. They're not the problem. The problem is the church church that is not walking in the authority that Christ gave to it. Amen? Hallelujah. So it's time for us to change. You see, Jesus gave us authority for a reason. He knew we would need it. And if we don't use it, the devil's going to walk all over us because there's a time to ask and there's a time to command. 
There's a, there's a time to decree and there's a time to demand. Jesus said in John 14, I just read it, whatever you ask the Father in my name, that word literally means demand. It doesn't mean you're demanding of your heavenly Father. He's your Father, he loves you. What it means is you're demanding, devil, take your hands off my marriage. Take your hands off my mind. Take your hands off my life. In the name of Jesus, I command you to go. Do you see there's a realm of authority that we as the church have to step into and until we do, we're gonna continue being like a doormat with the devil walking all over us. Thank you, Jesus. So authority is important. Okay, uh, Mark chapter 11. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Too many, too many people are talking to God about their mountains rather than talking to their mountains about God. Okay, it's important to understand this. There's a time to command your mountain to move in Jesus' name. Do you speak to cancer? Do you speak to tumors? Do you speak to depression? Well, you should, okay? You need to, you know, speak to your bank account. Speak to that situation in your marriage. You need to tell depression and anxiety to leave your home. Literally show at the door. Say, get out of my house in the name of Jesus. Tell that spirit of strife to leave your home. Tell that spirit of depression or suicide to leave your mind. You have to use your authority. You have to speak, amen? You have to speak to your own mind because if you're not, the devil, the flesh, and the world will be. You know, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. You see, we choose joy, we choose peace. I understand there's a lot of negativity and despair and fear and anxiety around, but you know what? Just because something is around you doesn't mean that it has to be in you. You have authority over that thing in Jesus' name. Don't give place to that, amen? You know, Paul said, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Always, not sometimes, not a lot of the... Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Do not be anxious for anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that passes understanding. It means you don't have to have a reason to have that peace. Everything can be going wrong around you and yet you still have that peace. It's guarding your heart and your mind. Paul said rejoice always. We choose joy. Doesn't mean we always feel like it. You know, a lot of people are filled with anxiety and depression in this current environment. But remember, Paul wrote this from a stinking Roman jail. He was most likely in chains with the sewage of Rome flowing around his feet. And here in this very dark place, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. You see, he took authority over his feelings and even though his circumstances didn't immediately change, fact is things got worse because he was eventually beheaded in Rome. But you know what, he chose to rejoice. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a choice. Say, I choose joy. I choose freedom. I can smell freedom in the air. Can you? How many of you smell freedom in the air? Come on. Come on. We need some of that fighting Irish spirit to rise up in Jesus' name. Freedom. Glory to God. I smell it. You know where it's found? In this book. You shall know the truth. And what's the truth going to do? 
what's it going to do? Is it going to give you little goosebumps? Is it going to make you feel good? A little bit of James Brown right there. I don't know where that came from. It's going to set you free. The name is shocking to me. In Jesus' name, I don't know what that was. I took something left over from the play last night. It'll set you free. It'll set you free. I love the word of God. <laughs> For over 2,000 years, billions of believers have found hope and healing and comfort and life and inspiration and direction through the words that Paul penned in a very dark place. I'm so glad he didn't give in to desperation, but he chose joy. He chose to trust God. He chose to use his authority. Could you give me five minutes and I'll be finished? About two people said yes there. Are you, are, you, are you all really under pressure? Is it okay if I finish this? I just have one point. One point left and that is victory. Because God has only one thing for you. And that's victory. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going home to face today or what's going on in your life. I know this. All God has for you is victory. Say it. Victory in Jesus' name. Victory. Amen. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. NLV, those who belong to Jesus have nailed the world, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Through Christ, we have victory over the devil, the flesh, and the world. Because again, no, no doubt, these are uncertain and challenging and difficult times. But as a child of God, the victory is ours. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we pray from a position of victory. We walk and we talk and we think victory. Amen. We're not trying to defeat the devil. Christ conquered him already at the cross. We're simply enforcing the victory that Christ won there. You see, let me say this. The victory of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is ours. He is the soon coming king. And this is why the battle is already won. The enemy is already defeated. The victory is already ours because Christ has conquered. He has risen. And the moment you discover that, you're going to walk out of that self-imposed prison of fear and doubt and unbelief that you've been in. When you realize that cancer is going to have to leave your body, Amen? Because you're not going to put up with it anymore. Those nightmares are going to have to cease. Amen? That oppression is going to have to lift. Amen? Because God wants us to walk in victory. Amen? So, again, 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. D.L. Moody said this. Take your stand on the rock of ages. Let death, let the judgment come. The victory is Christ's and yours through him. And so again, we pray from a position of victory. We're not trying to defeat addiction or depression or sickness or debt. Whatever it is, Christ already conquered it on the cross 2,000 years ago. Amen? And so let us walk in the victory that Christ won for us. 
Watchman Nee said this, long-standing victory can never be separated from a long-standing on this foundation of the cross. Amen. And so it is prayer that moves the mighty hand of God. And it's been my desire that this series has simply moved you to pray because our prayers echo in heaven and affect change on this earth. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, Amen. He said, when you pray, in verse 5. In verse 6, he said, when you pray. In verse 7, when you pray. Not if. Amen. We are all called to pray. We're all called to take our place in prayer. And so, if we want to walk in victory, we must walk in prayer. We must be people of prayer. You see, God wants us to pray. He wants us to stand in the gap for this nation. First Thessalonians 5.16, pray without ceasing. That's not saying that you spend all your day on your knees praying. It just simply means that you make your life a prayer. Amen? We're not talking about being legalistic. It just means that, you know, prayer. And remember, prayer isn't just about you speaking. It's about you listening. You see, some of you, the problem isn't that you're not praying. The problem is that you're not listening. When we do marriage counseling, one of the first things we do when we're talking about communication is we bring it down. Uh, It gets pretty interesting. But, you know, many times when you talk to people about communication, they always assume it's about them talking. It's not. A large part of communication is actually listening. And that's why many people have marriage problems is because they're tone deaf. They they never listen. And so we must listen to God. Prayer is a two-way thing. Amen. And Isaiah 52 talks about God is a God who speaks. Amen. So are you listening to God? Because Jesus gave us a pattern. He said, when you pray, say, our Father. It, it's a pattern, not just uh, you know, a prayer we rattle off. It, you know, it's a pattern that we're coming before a Father in prayer. And, and so, again, my, my last quote is this, John Wesley. When the vapor of your breath goes up in prayer, surely there'll be continuous rainfall of God's glory in your life. As the worship group come forward. When the vapor of your prayer, when the vapor of your breath goes up in prayer, surely there'll be continual rainfall of God's glory in your life. And so some of you may feel today, as you stand to your feet, some of you may feel that you're dry and you're fruitless and that you've, you know, gone from one disaster to another, one failure to another. But let me say this, child of God, you are loved. Amen. You may not be perfect. You may have fallen short in all sorts of areas. You know, I would be ashamed to acknowledge to you today so many areas where I have fallen short in my life. I need the grace of God desperately. And if you don't, if you doubt that, talk to my wife. Well, you know what? I know God's grace is extended towards us. This series is not about putting all sorts of legalistic obligations upon you where you say, oh, I have to pray, or I haven't prayed yet. No, listen, God wants you to come before his presence and just enjoy him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk with him. Because if you will do so, you will walk in victory, and you will see real change in this nation in Jesus' name. Amen. And it says, Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Can we make that commitment today that we're going to pray for the Lord's people? That we're going to pray for our family, we're going to pray for our friends, we're going to pray for our neighbors, we're going to pray for our loved ones, we're going to pray for the nations because the Bible said, ask me and I'll give you the nations. Amen. Ask me and I will give you the nations. 
So God wants us to pray. God wants, I'd like us to finish today before we, we uh, finish with this worship song. It's for us to just lift our voices in prayer. Could we do that for a moment? Could we just lift our voices to the Lord right now in prayer? Let's just stand in the gap for Ireland. Amen. This is a nation that has had the gospel for 1,500 years. Patrick bought the gospel to this nation 1,500 years ago. But this nation has strayed from truth. This nation, you know, the devil has buried the truth beneath centuries of dead religion. But I believe this is a day and an age where, you know what, those prayers that have been prayed by these men and women down through the ages on this island, men and women who feared God, men and women who sought God, men and women who dedicated their lives to the service of God, to the study and the copying of the scriptures, that those prayers are still latent in the ground. And I believe it's time for those living waters to burst forth. You know, the devil... You know, the Bible talks about how um, Isaac redug the wells that his father had dug. I believe it's time for us to dig new wells in prayer. It's time for those, that living water to flow again in Jesus' name. Lord, we stand in the gap, not just for this island, but we stand in the gap for the nations. Lord, you said, come on, lift your voice in prayer today. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Lord, we stand in the gap today for great Britain and for Germany and for Sweden and Norway and Denmark and Poland and Romania and France and Portugal and Spain. We stand in the gap, Lord. Hallelujah for Venezuela, for Brazil, Lord God. We stand in the gap, Lord God, for Bolivia, Lord. We stand in the gap, Lord God, for India. We stand in the gap for the nations of Africa, Lord God. We stand in the gap today. We raise up Australia, Lord God. We raise up New Zealand, Lord God. We raise up, Lord, Pakistan and Iran, Lord. We, we raise up Iraq, Lord God. We raise up Afghanistan, Lord God. Hallelujah. We raise up the nations, Lord. We raise up the nations to you, Lord God. There are multitudes of eternal souls, multitudes of men and women who are not ready to stand before you. And we pray. Come on, pray, people. Pray, pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand in the gap. God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, Lord. We pray that salvation, Lord God, will come to these nations that salvation will come to our nation, Lord God. Let salvation come to Ireland, Lord. We raise up Canada and, and the United States of America, Lord God. Thank you for revival. Thank you for awakening, Lord God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for the nations, Lord. Thank you for Lebanon. Thank you for Israel. Oh Lord, we raise up Israel to you in the name of Jesus. We raise up Israel, Lord God. We raise up your precious people, wherever they may be in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, Shialabasote. We raise up Turkey, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. You said, ask me, I'll give you nations. Right now, we're asking for nations, Lord. Hallelujah. We're asking Lord for South Africa Lord God hallelujah thank you Lord Jesus we're asking Lord God for Tanzania we're asking for Ghana Nigeria Lord God we're asking for Zimbabwe Lord God and Kenya Lord we're asking for the nations we're asking for Belgium Lord God we're asking Lord God nations nations Lord give us nations Lord let there be an awakening in the church Lord God we have a great commission to fulfill and we pray for this this virus to die and we pray Lord for the 
these autocratic measures to be lifted, Lord, for freedom of movement to return, that we're going to have freedom to go to the nations with the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for Lithuania and Latvia, Lord God. We thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. We thank you for nations. We thank you, hallelujah, for the Philippines. Thank you for the Philippines, Lord God. Thank you for the nations. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for Singapore, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we cry out for the nations. We cry out for the nations. We cry out for the nations, Lord, in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. Praise God. I want you to lift up your family before the Lord today by faith. Lord, we raise up our families. We thank you for miracles. Move in our families, Lord. Touch our families, Lord. We pray for salvations, Lord God. We pray for deliverances. We pray for healings, Lord God. Oh, Father God, move in the lives of our families, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, we raise up Ingrid, Lord, and Lourdes, Lord. We raise up Nalini, Lord. Anybody else that needs a miracle, we curse that spirit of cancer in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you need a miracle, lift up your hands to the Lord. If you're believing for a, a home or a spouse or healing or direction, I don't know what your needs may be. Come on, the Lord is moving in this place. Come on, lift up holy hands. Lift up your need by faith to Him right now in Jesus' name. Say, Lord, just say with me, Lord, I present this need to you. I know you are a miracle worker. And I thank you right now. I come before you with faith. I come before you with expectation and I'm believing for change I'm believing for breakthrough I'm believing for answers I'm believing to see your fire fall so by faith I give you this need and I thank you right now for the answer in the name of Jesus thank you Lord I receive it by faith if you believe that give a shout of faith to the Lord give a shout of praise come on hallelujah Come on. Yeah, you are good. You are good.